Amen, amen, amen. Well, good evening, you guys. Can we give it one more time for that worship? That was so powerful. That was so awesome. That was so awesome. Um, before we get going here, I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was on that last little song we were singing about, We Will Not Be Shaken. And um, I just wanted to take a moment and for any of us here in the room or any of us watching online, maybe this week something happened that, that threatened to shake you in your, in your walk with Christ, that threatened to shake you. And maybe something happened that you weren't expecting and it kind of threw you for a ringer and you, you're entering into this thing and you're singing it by faith, but honestly you're sitting here and you're, or you're watching online and you're saying, you know what, I feel a little shaken right now. I feel a little bit shaken. And I just wanted to open up one and say that Res- Resurrection Life Church here and our family online, we are a family. And it says in the Bible that we bear each other's burdens. And my, my, one thing my dad says all the time, but I love it, is he says, he says, when you celebrate with others, your rejoicing is doubled. But when you suffer with others in sorrow, the sorrow is halved. It's cut in half. And I just want it felt like we were supposed to take a time right here and for those of us online and also here in the building just to one pray for those people who say man I feel a little shaken right now and I need some brothers and sisters to come alongside me and just to pray with me and so if if that's you in the room or if that's you online um, if you're in the room would you just like raise your hand just be bold and say man I need I need somebody to come alongside me and pray for me a minute yeah that's thank you so much for being bold that's awesome right here if you want to keep your hand raised that'd be awesome if you're in the room, anybody else in the room, and then online, if you just want to type in the chat and say, I could use some prayer, that'd be awesome. So, sweet. So we have, we have one hand in the house. So if the people around that, around um, this person right here, if you would just extend a hand to him, and then let's just all come around him and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for our brother in Christ right here, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, Father God, that you are the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one, Father. And Lord, whether it was every single person who raised their hand and said, wow, I'm shaken. Lord, if, whether it was everybody or if it was just one, Lord, you, Jesus, you want to do a work nonetheless. It doesn't matter. Numbers weren't an issue for you, Jesus. You preached to the multitudes and you also sat with the woman at the well, Father. And you did it with equal grace, Father, and equal power. So we lift up our brother to you, Jesus, and we say we love him, God. We believe in him, Jesus. And we, we just say, Holy Spirit, we, command you, we ask you to fill him, Lord, in the name of Jesus, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. And, Lord, that he would, the Holy Spirit would plant him deep into the word of Jesus Christ, deep into your character, Lord God, and that you, Holy Spirit, would walk next to him and make him immovable, make him unshaken, Lord. We love you, God, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I'm super blessed to be here tonight. I'm, my name is Jared Blaukamp, um, and I'm just super excited to bring a message tonight. Um, I, I don't know if any of you guys were in service on Sunday, but we heard from Pastor Shannon Odell. Was anybody here in service on Sunday? Come on. That was really good, wasn't it? It was really, really good. And one thing that is just I think is going to go really really awesome with this message tonight is one thing that he spoke on really struck a chord in my heart when he talked about mission drift. You know, he talked about how he was flying a plane and he just got off one degree, right? And he ended up in a completely different city than where he intended on going, right? And so in this idea of mission drift, I felt like the Lord prompted on my heart. And it's just funny that this is what I had prepared on speaking on. Um, but 
the message tonight is one that's really central and really core to our DNA here at Resurrection Life Church. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking kind of the mission statement of Resurrection Life Church, which is to win souls and make disciples. That's the mission statement. And that's why we exist as a Res Life Church family. It's one, to win souls and make disciples. Can everyone say that with me? Say, win souls and make disciples. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be, me and um, Pastor Ricky are going to be kind of unpacking these, this idea of winning souls and making disciples. And so here at Resurrection Life Church, we are committed to winning souls and making disciples. We're committed to preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And we are totally devoted to raising up faithful disciples in this house who are prayerfully devoted biblically literate, supernaturally bold, and evangelistically unashamed. Isn't that true? Isn't that so true? And one thing I love about this family too is every single Sunday, every single service, we preach the gospel. And that's so unique. You don't get that a lot of churches nowadays, unfortunately. But every single Sunday, we give people an opportunity to come to know Jesus. And we are a church who wins souls. And so today, I plan on touching on this idea of winning souls and so first we'll be looking at the life, hopefully two lives, we'll see how we're doing on time, but hopefully the life of two remarkable soul, soul winners from the past. And after that, I'll be giving some biblical corroboration for the statement that God despe- desperately wants people to come to know him, and he desperately wants every single believer to be a soul winner. And then lastly, I'll be going over just some practicals of what does it look like to take a first step in being a soul winner? What does it look like to take a first step in um, living an evangelistic lifestyle? And so, uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray before we get into this whole thing. So, Jesus, I love you. I thank you. I honor you. Father, I ask, Father, that every single word of mine that's from me, Father, would fall, and every word that's from you would pervade Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room, every single person watching online. I thank you it's not an accident they're here. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you have something so special that you want to deliver and plant inside of our hearts tonight. And Lord, I'm so honored that I get to be here and, and co-labor with you in that. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would raise us up as a Res Life Church family to be those who win souls and make disciples. Jesus, I love you. I honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the, um, the Bible verses and then the practicals of sharing evangelism, I wanted to stir our faith a little bit with some stories about two remarkable evangelists um, in American history. So the first one I want to mention is a guy named Charles G. Finney. Charles Finney. He was born on August 29, 1792. He grew up in New York City. But Charles wasn't born into a Christian family at all. His parents weren't believers. And so he had never really heard about this man Jesus before. But around, the, around 1821, from 1818 to 1821, he just started law school. And he started studying the laws and giving counsel to different people about certain trials. And his interest got sparked a little bit because he noticed that at that time, a lot of the laws in the American law system were based on scripture. And so it sparked his interest. And in 1821, he bought his first Bible 
And from there, he started reading the Bible and getting kind of a, a loose picture of who Jesus was. And it would be this, this inquisitory nature that eventually led him to come to know Christ. And finally, on October, October 7, 1821, Charles Finney made up his mind. After reading scripture, he made up his mind that he was going to get right with God. And he wrote on that day that he attended wholly to the work of securing the salvation of his soul. So he said, I'm going to forget everything else. On October 7, he was reading the word. He was becoming familiar with scripture. And out of nowhere, just him, himself, no other person really was pouring into his life or anything. Probably was, but nothing was really recorded. And he just said, do you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to give everything I have to making sure that I am right with God by the end of the day. And so that lasted. He, it didn't happen on October 7. But three days later, on October 10, 1821, he began this deep pursuit of Christ and gave his heart fully over to Jesus. And after his commitment was made to give his life wholly over to Christ, Charles proceeded to have deep encounters with the Holy Spirit that lasted all throughout the night. And there can only be one thing said about October 10, 1821 regarding Charles Finney. He woke up an aspiring lawyer, but he went to bed a world-changing evangelist. And his evangelistic nature was released that very next day on October 11. So after, picture this, so he just gave his life to the Lord, and then he spends literally the whole night, like he stays up, he probably gets a couple hours of sleep, but he spends the majority of the night in prayer and receiving like a baptism of the Holy Spirit and being encountered by the Lord alone in his bedroom. And he wakes up that morning on October 11, so the next day, and he fully intended on going to work that next day. But he didn't make it very far. So he sat, he sat inside his, his office. He made it to his office and he sat down. And there was a man who came up and asked him a technical question about one of the cases that, he, that was to be tried later that day. And Charles Finney's response makes me laugh a little bit. This is what he said. He said, on October 11, after, he, after such a statement, he walked out of his office. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my place here. Oh, he said, okay. So he goes, after he has, he's talking with this guy, and he said to him, I have a retainer from the Lord Jesus Christ to plead his cause, and I cannot plead yours. So he basically said to him, like, this guy is coming to him, asking him for legal advice, and he said, dude, I understand your case is pretty bad, but I can't deal with yours because I have another cause that I need to plead, and it's Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? That gets you going. If, doesn't, if nothing else gets you going, that gets you going right here. So then from there, he literally left his office and never returned back to the law office, and he walked into a local shoe store, and he talked with several people that day who ended up giving their lives to the Lord. It's just crazy. So the life of Charles Finney, and that was just the beginning of his evangelistic crusades. And if I, if I were to tell every single story about Charles Finney's life, I probably could take the rest of the time and then some, you know. But I'll only tell one more story about Charles Finney. Um, and it's written in a memoir about that he wrote, Charles Finney wrote himself. And he recounts a time when he entered into a factory and God did something remarkable. I'm going to read right from his journal, but he says, I approached slowly into the factory, looking on either side of the machinery as I passed, but observed that this girl grew more and more agitated and could not proceed with her work. 
When I came within eight or ten feet of her, I looked solemnly at her. She observed it and was quite overcome and sunk down and burst into tears. The impression caught almost like powder, and in a few moments, nearly all the room was in tears. The impression caught almost like powder. The feeling spread throughout the factory, and Mr. W., the owner of the establishment, was present. And seeing the state of things, he said to the superintendent, Stop the mill and let the people attend to religion. For it is more important that our souls should be saved than this factory should be run. And the gate was immediately shut down and the factory was stopped. But where should we assemble? The superintendent suggested that the mule room was large enough and the mules being run up, could be, we could be assembled there. And we did so. And a more powerful meeting that I scarcely ever attended went on with great power. The building was large and had many people in it. And from the garret to the cellar, the revival went on throughout the mill with astonishing power. And in the course of the next few days, nearly all in the mill were hopefully converted. So he, literally, Charles Finney, he walks into this factory. Who knows what he was really meaning to do by walking into the factory? I don't know. But all of a sudden, just the power of God falls on this entire room and revival breaks out from his one life, right? And the, the, I share this story not to just put Charles Finney on a pedestal or say anything about this guy, but I say it to stir our faith because Charles Finney was one man who grew up without any religious background. His parents weren't saved. He didn't grow up going to church. He didn't have any of these things, but he had a deep hunger and a deep desperation for God, and God met him there and poured out the Holy Spirit on his life, and through his simple acts of obedience, now a whole factory has been completely changed and turned on its head for Christ. And I think the one thing, the one thing that I'm marked by throughout his life and throughout his story is that it was always so simple for him. As soon as he, as soon as he had his encounter with the Lord, he left, he left his job and went into the shoe store and he just talked with anybody who was breathing and said, hey, do you know Jesus, you know? And that was that kind of soul winning attitude that was in Charles Finney. I think that's something that we as a Res Life Church family can learn from, that boldness, right? The last, the last um, or the second person that I want to kind of mention here today was Dwight L. Moody. And specifically the thing that I want to mention about Dwight L. Moody's life, there's a lot. Um, Dwight L. Moody was an evangelist, and he traveled all throughout the United States. He traveled all throughout the United Kingdom with a, mu- a musician named Ira D. Sankey. And Ira would play music, and, he, and Dwight L. Moody would preach the gospel, and people would come to know Jesus by the droves. And in one tour throughout the UK in three months span, it's estimated that Ira and Dwight L. Moody ministered to almost 2.5 million people in three months. Like, that is crazy. And by the end of Dwight L. Moody's life, it's estimated that he, he ministered to around 100 million people throughout his lifetime. And he really only ministered for around 40 years. That's in 100 million people. Isn't that crazy? Now, you might be asking yourself, how did Dwight L. Moody come to know Jesus? How did he know Jesus? Well, Dwight L. Moody was born in a family of nine. His, his father died when he was five or when he was four years old. And his family lived in abject poverty for most of his life. But, praise the Lord, 
Dwight L. Moody had an uncle, and his uncle, man, I'm getting like a little emotional here. His, his uncle called him up and offered him a job at a shoe store. And the, only, the one condition, the one condition, his uncle said, one condition, you have to go to Sunday school every Sunday if you want to keep your job. And Dwight L. Moody went to Sunday school every Sunday. And it was there at his Sunday school he met. It, it wasn't even named in the biography I was reading. It wasn't even named. But this Sunday school teacher, he poured into Dwight L. Moody. And one day, after he'd been working at the shoe store with his uncle for about a year, this Sunday school teacher paid Dwight L. Moody a visit in his shoe store. And that day, preached the gospel to him and made sure that he knew the Lord. And Dwight L. Moody that day in the shoe store, 1855, gave his life to the Lord. And now, a hundred million people have been affected and impacted by that one man's life. That's the power. That's the power of being a soul winner, right? And all of us here, gathered here today, you know, and watching online, are, are we going to preach to a hundred million people by the time we, I don't know, maybe. Are we going to walk into factories and see entire factories just closed down and then church services held in the factory for the next three days? Maybe. But could we also be that Sunday school teacher who says, you know what, I'm concerned about this guy that comes every single week. Could we be that family member that calls our nephew or niece, our brother or sister, our grandma or grandpa, or mom and dad, and says, hey, I'm thinking about you. Can I come pay you a visit? Both are soul winners, and both are mightily used in God's kingdom. And at Resurrection Life Church, we are those who are soul winners. We are those who are willing to preach to the multitudes, right? Like Pastor Wayne on a Sunday morning, but we're also those who are willing to walk into Meyer and say, hey, and pray for the grocery clerk behind the counter or maybe nudge somebody that we don't know and ask if we can pray for them. We're also those who maybe rather than getting in arguments on Thanksgiving, we're preaching the gospel on Thanksgiving or we're calling up our kids, our grandkids. Jesus was all about preaching the multitudes but he was also all about going after the one. And both are soul winners in God's kingdom. And, God, and Jesus, I believe in this time and the state of where we are in, as a church family, but also in our nation, is Jesus is looking and he's searching the earth for these type of people who will be soul winners. Who will be willing to be bold enough to preach to the multitudes, but who are also intentional enough to give your nephew a phone call. And we see all throughout scripture, we see all throughout scripture God longing for people to come to know him. In Luke 19, verse 9 through 10, Jesus, after he had just healed a blind man, he's walking throughout the streets and then he meets Zacchaeus, you know, the famous, the short little guy who climbed up a sycamore tree. He, he meets him. And after that, he says, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus responds to him 
and says, Lord, I've repented. I'm, I'm going to make it right with everybody I've wronged and everybody who I've stolen from, I'll restore fourfold. And this is Jesus' response to him. It says in Luke 19, verse 9 through 10, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And when we pick up our identity as a soul winner, we identify with Jesus' mission and message, which was to seek and save those who are lost. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, the, the, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, because he doesn't want any one of you to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And lastly, we're going to skip down to Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. And this is, this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Remember that word, compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was doing a bunch of ministry. He was doing all of these amazing things. He was healing so many different people. He was teaching in all of these synagogues. And I'd imagine Jesus, after you know, running around and doing all of this ministry, he's looking around and he still sees a multitude of people who have yet to be ministered to. A multitude of people who have yet to been touched by the Lord. And at that moment when he said, and he had compassion on them, I think he was looking at it and his heart was breaking a little bit. And he says to his 12 closest friends, his disciples, he says, the harvest is truly plentiful. It's plentiful. But the workers are few. Would you ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field? And you know, I believe that that same message is ringing out even today as Jesus looks at our life. I believe that Jesus is looking at our workplaces. He's looking at our classrooms, our universities. He's, he's looking at our high schools and our middle schools, our elementaries. He's looking at our, the restaurants. He's looking at the grocery stores. Like He's looking at our spheres of influence and he sees a people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart is filled with compassion for them. And he's, I think he's, he's crying out the same way like he was in Matthew 9, and he's saying, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the workers are few. And he's asking us, would we pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field, to pick up the mission and message of Jesus, to seek and save those who are lost? And to be soul winners for God and for his kingdom. And I think that, miss that mission and that message of Jesus is sinking into our hearts even today. And sinking into your hearts if you're watching online. Right? You can feel that. You can feel that burden.
And so with the rest of my time here today, I want to make this as practical as it can be, right? Because we can talk all about this. We can get all fired up. We can speak really, we can speak really eloquently, or at least I hope I am. And uh, we can deliver a fiery message and inspire a bunch of people. But if we don't leave with practical next steps, it's just going to be another message, you know? And so one thing I wanted to end this talk with is just some practicals about evangelism. Practicals about sharing your faith. Practicals. And the thing, I'm only 21 years old, and you know, I haven't lived on this earth very, very long, but I have learned a few things about evangelism. And there have been some amazing, amazing moments with the Lord, but there's also been some awkward moments, if I'm honest. Some uh, less than, some moments that I'm less than, than enthusiastic about. Um, but across all of the board, if I could summarize all of my evangelistic experience into one sentence, I would say the one sentence is, the chance of success is worth the risk of embarrassment. So, yeah, could everybody say that with me? Say, the chance of success is worth the risk of embarrassment. Because there's going to come a moment when you feel like the Lord is placing somebody on your heart or the Lord is highlighting somebody. We'll get to that in just a minute. And you're going to feel really, really nervous. And the, the reason you're feeling nervous is because there is a risk. You're talking with another human being and they have, human beings are unpredictable, unfortunately. We can't foresee into the future and know how they're going to respond. But the chance of success is worth the risk of failure. I could, I could talk myself out of taking a risk or a step of faith just by saying, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if this? What if that? What if I stumble my words? But if we, went, if we did the same hypothetical what if for the good side, I think we'd be more convinced. What if they give their lives to the Lord? What if I pray for them and they actually get healed? What if this word that I feel like is on my heart and I don't know if it's going to resonate with them, what if it's actually true and exactly what they needed at the time? Then it makes all the difference, right? And I think it's worth me looking a little silly in that, in that vein and looking a little silly to take a risk in that, in that vein. So. so the last thing we have here is just three steps, three practical steps in stepping out and taking a next step to being a soul winner in this idea of evangelism, to picking up the mission and message, of, mission and message of Jesus and to seek and save those who are lost. So number one is heart of compassion. Everyone say heart of compassion. In, in Matthew 9, we saw that phrase, didn't we? He, we looked at the multitudes and he says he had a heart of compassion right before he said it. And now this heart of compassion, oftentimes it comes the, the way I like to describe this heart of compassion is there's about like a hundred people in this room, right? There's about a hundred people in this room. But say I just walked into this room and for some reason I just, I just look at Caleb and he just like stands out in the crowd to me. I'm like, okay, I see everybody else, but all of a sudden I just, I just see Caleb. Man, I can't, I don't know what it is. I just can't get him out of my field of vision. Like he's a good looking guy and everything, but man, you know. And I would say that is the Lord in your heart, and he's pointing that person out to you for a specific reason, right? And so, sometimes in some Christian circles, you'll hear this called highlighted, like the Lord highlighted somebody to you. It's not like he, the Lord pulled out his, you know, Sharpie highlighter and like 
colored him orange and was like, that's the one, you know? Or like a halo went over his head and angels were singing, oh, Jared, go talk to him. You know, like that wasn't it. It was just like this person stood out in the crowd to me. And so that heart of compassion, and sometimes I've had this, I've had this when I've been driving. There, I remember one specific time, this was in December of 2019, I was driving down the road and it was about midnight and I was driving and all of a sudden I saw this car with its flashers on at the side of the road. And it was a snowy night, it was late, it was almost midnight. And I'm thinking to myself, Jared, this is not the Lord. There's no way he'd ask you to, you know, pull over to some random dude's car at midnight, you know, and in the snow. But I just, as I passed, I just felt like my heart was like, man, I feel for that guy for some reason. Like, man, wow. Like, I have a heart of compassion for him. And so I spun around and at, knocked on his window. I just asked him if he needed help. Long story short, um, I ended up helping him with his car and sharing the gospel with him in my car. And he ended up giving his life to the Lord that night in my car. And it was just crazy. But, you know, how many other cars did I pass on the road and not think twice about it, right? How many cars did I drive by, but all of a sudden this one car, for some reason, stuck out to me. And so this heart of compassion for you, for all of us, it might evidence itself in maybe like the Lord will bring somebody to your mind, right? Maybe even right now, like as I'm talking to you, the Lord's bringing somebody to your mind. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's, maybe you'll, anybody, it could be anybody, right? But note that, write it down, maybe text yourself, do whatever you have to do to remember that person, and then just pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? And if you hear nothing, maybe he's just asking you to take a big risk and just give him a phone call and say, hey, I feel like God put you on my heart today. Is there any way I could pray, right? So that's the first one, the heart of compassion. Everyone say it again, heart of compassion. And then the two, which I kind of got into a little bit, is initiating conversation or actually going for it, right? And so when you feel that heart of compassion, that initiation of conversation happened for me when I turned around, knocked in the window and said, hi, my name's Jared. I promise I'm not a creep. I just saw you on the side of the road. I need, I'm wondering if you need some help, right? But for any of us, if we say we have that person in our mind that we feel like the Lord's asking us to call, we can be honest with that person, right? We don't have to be like an incognito Christian and just say like, oh, hey, yeah, just thought I'd call you. You know, yeah, how are the guys? We can like, and to initiate that conversation, we could literally say, and I've said this before, is, hey, I was praying and I felt like God put you on my heart. Is there any way I could pray for you? Or is there anything you need that I could help with, right? So that's number two is initiating the conversation or actually going for it, right? So number one was heart of compassion, having a burden. Number two is initiating conversation. And then the last one is the activation where you actually go for it and pray, right? And when you pray for that person, don't be afraid to take it that extra step if you're feeling like the Lord is leading you to. Sometimes I've had it where I've been in like random places, like in the store, right? Initially with this guy who was in my car and I, I picked him up to help him with his car and it just started off with, hey, I'm sorry this terrible thing's happened in your life. Can I pray with you, right? And then he let me pray and after I prayed, I just asked him a simple question of, have you ever like heard the message of Jesus before? Have you ever heard the gospel? And a lot of people are more open to receiving that kind of question after you've, you know, prayed with them, after you've followed through with what you felt like God was calling you to do. So, and that activation could look like a bunch of different things. It could be just like a general prayer. 
It could be a prayer for healing. It could be delivering a word of knowledge. It could be any number of things, whatever the Holy Spirit really lays on your heart to do. But the important thing is hearing from God when you have that heart of compassion to take that step, initiate that conversation, and follow through with the activation. And so I believe that just like Charles Finney and just like Dwight L. Moody, that our family is building soul winners in this room. And that the Res Life Church and our online family, I believe that there's soul winners here and soul winners watching online. And I feel like God's cry to all of us tonight is to say, would you pick up this message that I've given you? Would you pick up this call that I've given that's been ringing out for thousands of years of the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? And would you accept Accept the challenge, accept the risk to say, wow, this could either go really, really well or it could go really, really bad. But, Lord, I feel like you're telling me to do it, so I'm just going to go for it and I'm going to see what happens. Because at the end of the day, do we remember, the end of the day, the chance of success is worth the risk of embarrassment. Let's say that one more time. The chance of success is worth the risk of embarrassment. And so, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, as we've been talking today, we've been talking about soul winners, and we're so thankful for this family, this Res Life Church family that exists to win souls and to make disciples. But as I've been speaking, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in this room, and you say, man, maybe I've never really resonated with this mission or with this message of Jesus. Maybe I've never really heard the gospel before. And if that's you in the room, I just want to say plainly that Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And there's no way to the Father but by him. Jesus paid a price that we couldn't pay for our own lives. The wages of of our sin, the things that we've done against God, the wages of our sin was death. And we couldn't pay that on our own. We were separated from God forever. But God, through Jesus Christ, paid the payment of death by his dying on the cross. And it says in Galatians 3, 13 through 14, it says that he became a curse for us so that the blessings of Abraham might be given to us. And so if that's you and you're saying, man, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never really initiated relationship with him. If you're online and you're saying, man, I really need to get right with God. Maybe you're, you're, you're saying just like Charles Finney, you're saying, I'm going to make it my goal by the end of the night to be right with God. If that's you in the room, would you raise your hand on the count of three? And if you're online, would you just type yes in the chat on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. Thank you for those who are responding online. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. So all together as a church family, would we all just say this prayer together? There's nothing special about the prayer. It's just an outcry of our hearts. It's just giving words to what's actually happening on the inside of us. So we, we all say this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. Would you come and be my savior? I receive 
the payment for my sin that you made on the cross. And I make you today the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, would you fill me and teach me how to walk this thing out right? I love you, Lord, and I want to live for you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.